Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jeremy Pruitt, as we know, is going to be the next head coach of the Volunteers. And he's going to stay with Alabama through the playoff run. Now, this will be, of course, a bigger issue if they end up winning that first game and then it continues to go on. But really, it's this month period that you have to worry about when you're staying with a particular place and not going to this new job. Now you got this early signing period. Yep. So, I mean, the Tennessee coaching search has basically put a stick of dynamite in this recruiting class to begin with. Now, how much Pruitt was going to be able to come in and help that out, I'm not so sure. So part of me wants to say, you know what? You probably weren't going to get much out of this one anyway with the way that it went, so it's okay. Yeah. But another part of me is saying this more than ever, because of what happened, you need him now to be fully committed. You can't now, after this horrible coaching search, being a joke in college football, and this is where I ultimately lean towards this, being the biggest joke not only in college football but in sports for multiple weeks Now wait and watch your coach go through this playoff process and not have all his attention focused on salvaging what could be, you know, a a, end up being a pretty bad first year for him if he doesn't. Well, what was what's different now is because of that early signing date and last year you had Kirby Smart uh, or two years ago deal with a a similar situation, but yet he had until February to go in or go out on the road and try to maintain those uh, those commitments, and he did a, a well of a job doing that. And that's the second time I said well of a job. Well of a hit, now well of a job. Uh, so uh, he was excellent at maintaining those recruits, getting them to, to, to stay uh, in the fold, and, and now the, the job is even more uh, – the task is even more arduous because you have the early signing date, and – you, you look at Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt. Now, does he go out and his is his is his goal to try to flip some of these guys? I think it is. And, and some of the guys he's been recruiting for Alabama, now is he trying to get them to change their mind and come to Tennessee? And if you're out there and you 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 haven't committed to a program, and even if you decommitted from Tennessee, now you know what type of coach is coming in there. You know what type of program he's going to run. It's going to be similar to what you've seen at Alabama since he comes from that coaching tree. Uh, so that do you reconsider Tennessee now that you know who's going to be who's running the place? I could be wrong about this, but my thought is, and some people say, well, hey, look, if Alabama goes and wins a national championship, there's no better commercial for Jeremy Pruitt than that defense playing well and it's uh, front and center in the world of college football and and that's going to help out you know I don't know about that stuff I really don't because to me it's about that connection that you make with those recruits to build trust that is the biggest thing I mean let's take out some of the funny money business that goes on in college sports and let's just assume that most of it is done uh, by uh, or above board rather that you can tell you could sit and watch television all you want and watch a guy as a defensive coordinator of a successful team 
do a good job on TV. But if you don't have that, he's in the living room, he's calling me, he is right there when I need him, I want to play for this guy because he cares about me. If that's not there, then that kid's not coming. And I don't know if it is achievable by Jeremy Pruitt or anybody else on the planet to be able to accomplish both of those things at a high enough level to do those jobs where they need to be. Well, Jeremy Pruitt is recognized as one of the better recruiters out there, so he has that feather in his cap. And here's a guy who comes up from the high school ranks. He was at – they had a reality show. He was assistant coach on yep. that Hoover high school. Two they're days. Out, they're outside uh, Birmingham. And and so he speaks the language starting from the bottom, and, and now, of course, he's leading this Tennessee program, so he knows how to go out on the road – and pique the interest of, of p- potential recruits. So is, is, is the, the deck is stacked against him, especially with this early signing period. But we'll see how he hits the road and who he targets and how he tries to, to go out and, and, and maybe uh, bring some other guys back that have, are looking elsewhere after committing to the University of Tennessee and even try to pluck some from Alabama. Now that's going to be interesting considering he's still going to uh, be the defensive coordinator throughout the playoffs. And, you, and you're working for Nick Saban, but you're working against him as he's well not. He's on the not. recruiting trail. He won't do it. I'm telling you right now he won't do it. And here's the reason why. One, he cared enough about Alabama to continue in this playoff run. Nick Saban allowed him to do that as well. Because you remember what happened with Lane Kiffin a year ago, and you know how their relationship sort of stunk. So you know that this relationship is better. You would assume that it's better. unless, Unless Nick Saban's actually swallowing his pride for once and saying, listen, we need this guy around no matter what. But I'm making the assumption that the relationship is a hell of a lot better than it was with Kiffin. So you're telling me that that cutthroat of a person and Jeremy Pruitt's now going to poach those recruits from Alabama? Mm-hmm. No way. With that much respect, with that guy, we're talking Saban now. We're just yeah. not talking a normal dude. We're talking Saban. <laughs> He's going to go elsewhere. He's going to yeah. leave those recruits for Saban and the people that are still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, w- I would think he would. He'd, he'd be loyal to Alabama and to Nick, Nick Saban. Uh, he left, went to Florida State, went to Georgia, then he came back after Kirby Smart took the Georgia job. So uh, I, I would – uh, expect him to uh, play it safe and, and not try to uh, uh, get on the bad side of Nick Saban or he'll coach you know, the first playoff game and then be out just like Lane Kiffin was. There were some reports that Bruce Feldman had before this was announced officially that Pruitt was going to go that there was a big problem, a big divide between Tennessee and Pruitt about remaining the defensive coordinator for Alabama and how the talks had broken down for a time period there because of that. So I I wonder if this recruiting class is garbage. Is that a reason to give Jeremy Pruitt a pass in the first year? And I'm thinking because he so desperately wanted to remain the defensive coordinator at Alabama and finish off that job that you can't because he could have left. Now, he made he's making this decision to stay. I mean, this isn't one of those things where he had to contractually. He could go if he wanted to. Right. And he's choosing Alabama over Tennessee. I understand he wants to stay loyal to those guys who have been hunting for him all season long and and last year as well. So that doesn't bother me. And and let's not just look at this Tennessee uh, roster and and mischaracterize what they're working with. There's some ballers on this team. They couldn't stay healthy. Maybe that's your strength and conditioning program. They weren't developed. That's your coaching staff. He's going to come in here with a totally different uh, MO. And and so just because you may not retain some of the guys uh, that you've been recruiting there – 
and, and you're going to get a late start as the new head coach doesn't mean you don't have some good clay to mold there in Knoxville. I think he does. It's a different argument, though. I'm not talking about the guys that are already there because you know you can't skip a recruiting class in the SEC and think you're going to have a shot. Can't do it. So uh, this year, maybe it doesn't affect them all that much because of the talent that they already have in the cupboard. I'm talking about as he goes on, you can look back at this and be like, well, wait a second. You just dropped an entire recruiting class because you had to fill this obligation at Alabama. And and so I, your question is whether or not the, the, the Phil Fulmer and the folks there, the, the Tennessee faithful, give him a pass this when, season. When it when it well not this particular season. I'm talking about uh, let's separate the recruiting class in this season. Now, if he goes and has a great season and they win, they'll forget about the recruiting class. Mm-hmm. But you know how it goes. I mean, those signing days and all that stuff that happens. We're giving grades. We're going through. Yeah. People care about that. So that's going to be a big deal. So will he get a pass on that yeah. if everybody around him is getting A grades and there's a C minus there at Tennessee? Yes, he's going to get a pass. All right. Yeah. Okay. Because he, he, he jumps into the fire late, and, and, and I, everyone recognizes that he wants to continue to coach in the college football playoffs. They worked their butts off to get back there. The only team that's been involved in all four now. Uh, so they understand that. And, and, and so, yes, he will get a pass if they do not have a stellar haul on signing day. I know it's very difficult, and you're leaving a place and a man who's more successful than anybody else, and you don't want to burn a bridge, and it's it's asking a lot. It really is asking a lot to leave at that point because you know you're going to anger Nick Saban. But to me, this is an opportunity that you cannot screw up. And if any part of you, an ounce of you, believes that you will not do as good of a job by finishing the job out with Alabama, then you can't do it. I'm sorry. You cannot well, I, stretch yourself out like that. It's gonna, he's going to have to stretch himself out like that because he's not only is he trying to get ready for Clemson, who he went up against a year ago, and so he knows he has a pretty good idea of what they like to do. Uh, he went up against them the last two years. you got to go. Uh, and, and also, you're trying to put together a staff, so you're working around the clock. you got to go, you, man. you, you well, got to well, You can't see, do it. Some people can multitask like that. Others cannot. See, I don't believe that anybody can do it effectively. Sure. And, then, and uh, you're also trying to recruit. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So maybe he'll get it done, but how well are you getting it done? I just know if that, that were me, I would hope, even though he probably wouldn't, that Nick Saban would understand. But the the thing that's more important in this is building your own reputation and going there and having success. And what's what's a better scenario for Jeremy Pruitt? Falling flat on his face at Tennessee because he was distracted at one of the most important times of his tenure, which is right now, and still retaining that relationship with Saban? Or having Nick Saban hate your guts for the rest of time (laughs) and end up being a successful coach in the SEC at Tennessee? I I don't think he'll hate his guts because he allowed him to come back after he left Georgia. But you remember last year during the playoffs, Washington, Alabama, and Alabama didn't come out and just blow – uh, Washington out of the water, and, and and people should give Washington some credit for that. And, and yet, everyone, all the arrows were pointed towards Lane Kiffin. Oh, he's not concentrating. He didn't call a great game, and he's more worried about uh, FAU and, and moving on to them. And so Nick uh, Nick Saban said, "Okay, you're out of here." Uh, and 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 I don't know. I don't know if, if Nick Saban was pressured to 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 uh, make that move. I'm going to say he wasn't, but maybe he felt just like those pressured fans. by who pressures yeah, Nick Saban. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Uh, and, 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 but he felt the same as a lot of Alabama fans that uh, Lane Kiffin did not 
uh, delegate enough attention to the game plan. And that's why they had such a putrid out, output in, in that game versus Washington. Uh, and, and so he said, okay, you're not coaching in, in the uh, the title game. So he was gone. Steve Sarkeesian steps in. And then people were mad at him. Oh, you well, didn't run the ball enough, yada, yada, yada. So if you get into this first ball game versus Clemson and the defense doesn't play as well as you expect them to play, now you're going to blame Jeremy Pruitt and say, Coach, uh, we, we won the game by the skin of our teeth, but uh, how about you go ahead and, and worry about Tennessee and let us move on to well, to either Georgia or Oklahoma. But the, the damage is already done at that point because now's the time, right? I mean, now is the time. It's because at that point you've already had – that long stretch between the last time Alabama played in the playoff and then the next game, if they end up winning, I mean, there's no guarantee they're going to win either. It could be done at that point. You know, they end up winning and it's right there. Right. Boom. It's too late at, at that point. So that's why uh, Jeremy Pruitt sat down with Nick Saban and said, Hey, I know I've got other things on my mind, but I want to continue to be your defensive coordinator. Here's how our, relate, uh, our working relationship continues. And Nick Saban outlines that and they move on. I just don't think that there is any reason for him to stay there for his own personal good. And you have to be selfish. You have to. And he wants to make everybody happy. And the people that make these decisions, they want to not turn their back on the players and do the right thing and make sure that you honor your commitments and all of this. And I'm right. It sounds great. And in most walks of life, it's the right thing to do. In this particular business where your seat is boiling the second you sit down after the press conference, you can't leave anything in doubt. You cannot. All of your energy immediately has to go into that job. So we'll see if he ends I would, up. I would agree with that. And you look at Scott Frost. You got a 12-0 and football team there at UCF and and 13-0, uh, and, and you – uh, you take the job at Nebraska now. He said initially that he wanted to coach the bowl game. I don't know if that's going to uh, ideally occur uh, because he got to hit the ground running too. Now as Nebraska's head coach, and you have Josh Heupel, who's been named the new head coach at UCF, and now he wants to start implementing his strategy and his philosophy. So it makes no sense for Scott Frost now to come back and try to lead this team in a bowl game. Oregon players really want Mario Cristobal to be their head coach to the point where they had 70-plus players sign a petition to keep him as head coach. Uh, There is, uh, let's see, uh, Terrell Crosby, standout offensive lineman. lineman, Uh, He changed his avatar to a picture of Mario Cristobal. That's his position, coach. We were all fighting so hard for him to be head coach because we all know he fights just as hard for us. Their emotions are high naturally because they just had someone walk away from them unceremoniously. So they're looking for loyalty, and they believe it's going to come in the form of Mario Cristobal. We see this all the time. You just saw that Oregon State where they wanted their interim head coach to to, uh, be uh, retained as the head coach. That didn't occur. Uh, and you see this a, a, a lot, and I know seventy over 70 players have signed this petition, and we'll see what their uh, AD Mullins does, but um, – this is not the first time a team has rallied around their their interim head coach, and or, and 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 it won't be the last. But uh, you know, you look at Crystal Ball, guy I played against in college uh, when he was at the University of Miami, and he has been a head coach. He was at FIU for about four or five years, and uh, that didn't end so well for him there. Uh, and uh, he went to Alabama, and now of course he's at Oregon, and, and so we'll, we'll see. But I I would say he, he may have a shot, but. I, uh, not a, a damn good one. 
Coming up next, an Andrew Bogus update, and we welcome in one of the best NFL breaker downers. That's a thing <laughs> that the world has ever He's seen. He's a whale of a breaker downer. He is. Yes. One of the best. Brian Baldinger will join us after the update. Keep it right here. Check us out on Facebook at Geo and Jones. I thought I had some sort of great connection with Brian Baldinger, but apparently it's not that great. Oh, really? What made you... Oh, that's right. You were, you thought he was an L.I. cat. Well, he is, but I, I mean, I came in with this crazy, like, six degrees of separation story yesterday yeah. in our post-show meeting. And it was more separated. And it, no, and it wasn't even that impressive to people. No, no. So no. apparently Brian Baldinger's sister is a teacher at the high school I went to. And I thought that that was sort of amazing because it's an obscure high school on eastern Long Island that right. it's not like some big private school that people know or whatever, you know. There's like 15 teachers, and they're all there yeah. because of tenure, and they probably should have retired a million years ago. Um, but I was thinking, hey, this is this is unbelievable. Think yeah. about that. And then they just met. My parents just met this person at some Bellport function, and they were talking, and all my, my brothers are in sports, and all my son does this. And it was like a whole big thing. And then Spitz, our program director, just shot it down yesterday. Just like, that's not that impressive. Yeah, he's no. a, I mean, he's a you know he went to a Long Island high school. I mean, what's the big deal about that? I mean, right. really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, if he was from maybe Bangladesh or something, yeah. maybe that would have been impressive. <laughs> uh, that's what it was. If he didn't, uh, you know, eat like I don't eat. Mm, that's you know. uh, I, mean, I think you thought that was cool. It wasn't yeah. cool. Yeah. So anyway, you were about to say something. You had your hand up in the air. I was going to give you a Katie Linendahl update. Remember oh, we were discussing that yesterday. Great. Yes, Katie Linendahl, for those who don't know, mm-hmm. tech guru yep. who we used to have on, used to give us gifts, mm-hmm. and there was a, a full-blown poaching that yep. went on. Yep. And I don't even blame – I don't know who to blame, really. I'm not angry about it. I'm upset. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm not angry. I talked to DA about it after the show yep. about the poaching, so it's all out there in the open. Um, but so what is your, what's your update? She DM'd me back. Oh, yes. And, and said, wow, look at the size of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only hurt for a little while. Oh, <laughs> what'd she say? <laughs> well, how am I supposed to go? <laughs> and I'm the bad guy. Y'all always make me out to be the bad guy. Can I find that at katie.gifts? <laughs> We're going to have a reasonable facsimile next Christmas. <laughs> Batteries included. In all different colors. Uh, listen, she uh, hit me back. She said, oh, my gosh, I've been thinking about you guys. I legit got you five custom lint rollers. Remember, I was enamored with the lint rollers. I'm so over That's them by funny. now. Uh, I, I do recall I had a massive gift guide last year, and you picked out the lint roller, right? I'm filming in Iceland next week and not sure when I'm back. Can I let you know? It's over. I told you We it was don't over. make holiday work. We have to schedule something. So no, I haven't, it's, it's I haven't hit her back. What should I hit, hit her back and say? Yeah. Mm, you. No, I'd say Greg. Hope you freeze to death in Iceland. Say Greg's going to a place that won't have you as a guest, and <laughs> I'm retiring. <laughs> okay, so that's, there you go. The window is closed. Yes. So enjoy Iceland, <laughs> and we'll be picking the lint off our own stuff. Thank you very much. Well, what was the phone you were badgering her about because she didn't, HTC? She oh, didn't God. know yeah. about it. Yeah, that's right. By HTC, man. Oh, man and then the. Uh, the uh, little outlet, the uh, electrical strip, but it was different. It's like a little cube. Mm. It's so cool. Really cool. I love it. I'm going to order two more of those. This Linendoll moment is brought to you by... <laughs> Remember the time when... <laughs> 
We did that yesterday, too. We talked about the time for in the psychic and this and that and everything else. Well, okay, we're done with her. Yeah. Well, she was done with us first. Yeah. But it does sound better if you're like, we're done with her. Uh, Brian Baldinger is going through airport security. We tend to get guys at airports. Always. Yeah, it seems to be a Mikey B staple. Like, he won't book guys unless they're at airports. Now. Yeah, I think it uh, adds to the interview. We should, we should try to get them while they're being patted down and all that. You know, I don't know if that's allowed. Allow it's allowed. Go, I got to do this interview. Go ahead and wand me. No, I don't, I don't think so. What's no. that rubber glove for? <laughs> so we'll talk to him in a matter of moments. But I'm not a pack mule. We have... Andrew Bogish right now with an update. I'm so upset with TSA, man, because you know I travel a lot. And these hey, thanks, Brian. Early in the fourth quarter last night I in mean, Orlando. I mean, they're killing me, man. <laughs> I mean, keep the surface in and take the surface out. Which one is it? Damn it. Early Make in the up four- your mind. Early in the fourth quarter last night in Atlanta with the Saints leading by seven. New Orleans head coach Sean Payton and Atlanta running back Devontae Freeman exchanged words along the sideline. Payton made a choke sign seemingly a reference to 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. Freeman, though, doesn't care. He ain't from where I'm from. He don't know about choking. But he just, he probably, he a good competitor. So he probably, uh, the, the competes probably came out. But, you know, we don't let that bother me, man. He don't know nothing about choking. No. The competes probably came <laughs> The competes of people. You know, they bubbled up and came out of here. Oh. <laughs> the competes. Dude, what's that? What's that? Ew, what is this? That's, That's a- just the competes. <laughs> secreting. <laughs> just secreting. I'm just Fly secreting again. my competes. He ain't from where I'm from. He don't know about choking. But he just, he, probably, he a good competitor, so he probably, uh, the, the competes probably came out, but... You know, we don't let that bother you, man. He don't know nothing about choking. I want to know where, you know about choking? Yeah, where is he from that right. they're choking is common knowledge. Yes. <laughs> Dude, you go to that choke class. <laughs> I mean, like, what is he? Th- what? What? No, Maybe he's, they should put him back in concussion protocol. <laughs> what, is, what is that? We give up all the time where I'm from. <laughs> he doesn't know nothing about that. Yeah, he don't hear from where I'm from. We know about that choking. <laughs> he don't know what? about no choking. And the compete that probably is came up out of him. Because you think, remember like the... Wow. What was that? It was Pac-Man Jones and Terrell Pryor. As he's yeah. a suburb kid yeah, from yeah. Pittsburgh. <laughs> like there's something about that in the NFL where guys... Like if you're from a certain place and you are in a feud with a guy who is from money or didn't grow up in, yeah. a, in a hood. Like, there's no respect there. Like, I hear that a lot in this post-game stuff. A <laughs> suburbs kid from Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And he got that competes, too. Yeah, the competes yeah. came out. Pittsburgh. <laughs> what? It's an incredible he, I bet he's cut. from Florida. You know, he played at Florida State. so it, He's it, got that sound. He yeah. does. He's got to be from some little bitty. Man, that's amazing. Baxley, Georgia. Excuse me? Baxley, Georgia. Excuse me? Oh, <laughs> Baxley, Georgia. Like I said, he's probably from Georgia. He did go to high school in Miami. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So, three-time Pro Bowl on the ground last night. Matt Ryan threw a tying touchdown pass. To <laughs> <laughs> There are no competes. <laughs> where does the Georgia thing come from? That is that where just he was born there? Yeah, that's where he um, was born. 
That's a new laugh. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had one of these in a while. <laughs> Breakout season was in 2015. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> His nickname was Dave Doe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Matt Ryan threw a tying touchdown pass to Mohamed Sanu early in the fourth quarter. Matt Ryan kicking a tie-breaking 52-yard field goal with 349 left. And then Deion Jones picked off Drew Brees in the end zone with 85 seconds left. So the Falcons won 2017 to climb within a game of the Saints in the NFC South. John Dorsey is now in charge of the Browns' front office, hired hours after Jimmy Haslam fired Sashi Brown. As of now, Dorsey has six extra picks in April's draft. Giancarlo Stanton reportedly vetoing trade to the Cardinals and the Giants. The Dodgers, Cubs, Yankees, and Astros said to be the only teams he will waive his no-trade clause for. The Marlins, though, able to make another trade yesterday, sending second baseman... G. Gordon D. No, that's D. Gordon. (laughs) That was written by the Seglia, by the way. Uh, D. Gordon goes to the Mariners for three minor leaguers. Gordon will move to center field in Seattle because of Robinson Cano at second base and Gene Segura at short. The deal also gets the Mariners more international signing bonus money to offer to Shohei Otani. The Rocket win streak is eight after a 112-101 victory in Utah. The net, the Nets top the Thunder 195 <laughs> in Mexico City. The Lakers a 107-104 win in Philadelphia. Those Sixers send Julio Okafor, Nick Stauskas, and a future second-round pick to Brooklyn yesterday for Trevor Booker. Boys? Thanks, Bogus. Joining us right yeah. now, as promised, Brian Baldinger, 12-year NFL vet. He's going to be calling Chargers and Redskins for Westwood 1. He's a former Brian Jones teammate. We love those guys. Brian, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? What's up, Gio? Brian, how you guys doing this morning, man? Great, great, my man. Yeah. How about you? I'm doing good, man. I'm, uh, you know, doing the old airport thing here this morning, man, just trying to get through this disaster. That- Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, is. they ever give you crap for your really messed up finger? Do they, like, <laughs> see if it's real or, like, you're hiding it's something special. in there? It's a special security screening. So, <laughs> I I can handle it, but the people that I that I hold up in line, they can't handle it. You tweet out spectacular videos on your Twitter account. Is it at Baldy NFL? Is that the Twitter account? Yeah, at Baldy NFL. At, hashtag uh, Baldy Breakdowns, man. Yeah, Baldy Breakdowns. And what Brian does is innovative, and I think he's the yeah. best at it where he posts small, very digestible clips of stuff that's going on in games and film breakdown. And you posted something that was very interesting to me about the Giants the day that McAdoo and Reese were fired, about how unimaginative their offense was. So take me through some of that and how bad things really got offensively for the Giants this season. Well, I mean, you know, they bench the iconic Eli Manning for Geno Smith. For whatever reason, I don't know. But the offense didn't change at all. I mean, on third and eight, they're still running curl flat for a yard. They're running bootleg to Khalil Mack like he hadn't seen a bootleg before. It means he's unblocked. And he's chasing Geno Smith. And they got a one-receiver route who's stepped out of bounds. You know, I mean, he's not even an eligible receiver. There's no place for Geno to throw the ball except throw it away and try to avoid another collision with Khalil Mack. 
I mean, you just go through the whole offense. You just go, what are they trying to do? I mean, you're going to put Chad Wheeler out there. You know, he lines up in his first start against Ryan Kerrigan, who's the Redskins' best defensive player with no help. And you wonder why Eli Manning's getting sacked. They put him up against Khalil Mack with no help. I mean, there's got to be some – you've got to recognize the other side of the ball and who the great players are and what you have when you put this game plan together and when you line up for any given play. And it, I don't know. I mean, I know Mike Sullivan and Ben McAdoo are, you know, trying to win games, but you got to try to win the play first before you try to win the game. And you got to think about all the details every single play. Well, Baldy, you know as well as I do, there are different rules for different players. When you have an iconic player, superstar like an Eli Manning, do you think he was treated fairly? No. No. I mean, there's no re- I mean, the, the team around him was not very good, and the, the offense wasn't fitting what he was doing. And so you're going to bench a guy that's lined up for 210 straight games in a row that has represented your organization as well as anybody that's ever worn the NY on the side of their helmet? And you're going to bench him for Geno Smith, who we've watched in, across the river in New York for, you know, 30-something games. And you know the guy doesn't have pocket awareness. You know what he is. What are you doing? Like, what is that all about? Well, I think what it was about was the fact that the season was going nowhere and the owner said, I want to take a look at some of these younger quarterbacks to see what I have. So when we head into the draft and we're going to be at the top of the draft because we suck, I have to decide if we're going to pick a quarterback with our first overall pick. They went to Eli Manning, told him that at some point they were going to sit him down in a game to look at the other quarterbacks, and he said, no, I feel like that's cheap, and then he made the decision not to start. So, And then Ben McAdoo has got just no awareness how to handle anything, and that's how the whole thing blew up in their face. But I still think they should be looking at younger quarterbacks. And quite honestly, if you're going to end up doing this plan and you're still not looking at Davis Webb, then what the hell is the point of it? I had no problem with them looking at Geno for one game. The guy's not 38 years old. But where's Davis Webb in this scenario? Well, I understand the dialogue. I listen to it all. And you're right. I mean, if you want to look at Davis Webb, fine. Look at Davis Webb. But what is going to Geno Smith all about with a bad team around him? I mean, what is what are you going to learn about Geno Smith that you don't already know? I mean... Well, what's the point of even having Eli Manning? I mean, what are you going to learn about Eli Manning you don't already know, he, too? I mean, I, I, to me, that wasn't the bigger deal. The bigger deal is how it was handled. Uh, and at this point, now they're going back to Eli Manning to appease the fans, and I think they're painting themselves in a corner because the thing that they wanted to accomplish, now they can't accomplish. Well, look, if you wanted to very at the very beginning say, it's time to take a look at Davis Webb, I, I can understand that. That has happened to great quarterbacks and guys that are legends in the organizations before. But not Geno Smith. You can't, you can't sell me on Geno Smith. You can sell a fan base on Geno Smith, uh, you know, as the reason why you're going to sit down your, you know, your iconic quarterback. But if you want to look at Davis Webb, I understand all of that. But, you know, what is Davis Webb going to learn? How are you going to evaluate him with that team that he has out there right now? I mean, I think at this point you just try to win games and try to salvage the season. Uh, you're not going to learn anything about Davis Webb with that protection and with that talent outside right now. Well, let's talk about uh, the Seahawks and the Jaguars. You did a breakdown of, on Bobby Wagner, and you essentially say if you're going to run the ball, Jaguars, which they really want to do, Leonard Fournette and, and Yeldon there, you, you've got to block Bobby Wagner. What did you see from the Seahawks' defense versus the Eagles the other night? Well, I thought that, you know, they, they obviously, you know, made, made plays. I mean, you know, Sheldon Richardson getting the ball out of, uh, Carson Wentz's hands at the goal line, you know, saved the touchdown right there. 
you know, Shaquille Griffin forcing Alshon Jeffrey to hold him at the, you know, at the one-yard line, preventing LeGarrette Blunt from going into the end zone. Um, you know, when you looked at how they defended the run, I mean, they had a hard time getting to Bobby Wagner. I mean, he led the team to tackles. He had 13 tackles. He got to the quarterback. He quarterback hits. I mean, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, he was almost unblockable. He's a slippery guy. He's, he's very uh, crafty and how he reads blocking schemes and what he thinks is coming at him. And I think, you know, in all of Seattle's run over the last six years, we could talk about the Legion of Boom. We could talk about the pressure and the defensive line. I think we always overlook Bobby Wagner. He's had 100-plus tackles for six straight years in a row. Leads him again this year. He played all 75 snaps the other night. He never comes off the field. I mean, I think we kind of overlook Bobby Wagner a great deal in this whole process. Gio and Jones with Brian Baldinger across the country on CBS Sports Radio. Why or why not uh, Case Keenum is basically the question. Is he going to be able to continue this at this high level and get to a Super Bowl, maybe win a Super Bowl? Or do you see some things happening with him where regression is near because everybody assumes it's going to happen because he's Case Keenum and hasn't had success like this in the NFL until now? I don't see anything. I don't see any signs that he can't do it. I mean, he's just put up four straight games of a hundred plus quarterback rating. Um, you know, Drew Brees couldn't do that last night. Um, you know, against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they stopped me because I'm maybe extra. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Don't uh, shake your it. head. You have to no, acknowledge no. that you will help. <laughs> I, look, I love Case Keenum. I mean, you know, Pat Shermer's doing a good job with him right now. They lost their best offensive player, Dalvin Cook, early in the season. Latavius Murphy has played well, but I mean, if you look at you know what they're doing right now with uh, you know with Kyle Rudolph, with Adam Thielen. I mean, they have just enough pieces right now. And defensively, I mean, you know, they're airtight. I, I, there's no reason to think that Case Keenum. I, you know, look, when you get to the playoffs, it's a whole different level. We understand all of that. But what are they, what's their option? There is no other option at this point. You ride Case Keenum right now. He's won eight in a row. Uh, he feels good about it. The team loves him. Um, you know, he's been a gunslinger from his days at Houston and really go all the way back to Stephenville High School. I mean, he's got a good team around him right now. And I don't see him making the mistakes that's going to screw this thing up right now. Now, when he gets to playoffs, it's going to be a tough NFC battle, maybe the toughest that we've seen in a long, long time. So he'll get tested for sure. But right now, you ride the hot hand. Are you on the plane currently? Uh, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. I thought you were yeah. saying yes to the exit row thing. <laughs> I thought that that's what that's you what were... I thought you said as well. Yeah, sitting on the plane. Because I'm just picturing you talking about Case Keenum in your seat on the plane. Oh, they're all looking. That's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, sure what, is, what, is, what are people thinking? <laughs> like, what is that? I'd be I'd be totally, like, freaked out by that. Like, why are you <laughs> so intense? All... Look, if I say anything good about another team, they're all Eagle fans here. They're all going out to Los Angeles to see their Eagles against the Rams this weekend. I'm on this plane going to Los Angeles. So, I mean, they're all looking at me like, when are you going to get to the Eagles talk here? <laughs> all right, let's talk about the Eagles, man. Uh, what do they need to do to get that bad taste out of their mouth, take it on the Rams? I think they got to get back to being aggressive, Brian. I mean, you know, they weren't aggressive against Seattle. Mm-hmm. I didn't, You know, I mean, Carson Wentz, he's got a big arm. He's an accurate deep throw. He's proven that throughout the season. I don't think they ever really tested, you know, uh, how you doing? <laughs> I don't think they ever really tested the secondary in that game. You know? And I think that's what they got to do against them because the Rams are going to take their shots against them. 
you know. And so, you know, that's that's what they've got to, you know, defend. And I think the other part is to get the bad taste out of the mouth. I mean, if you want to stop the Los Angeles Rams, then you stop them by stopping Todd Gurley. That's what the Minnesota Vikings did. They shot and they held them to the fewest yards they ran for all year. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Eagles challenge is on Sunday. I know you're calling the Chargers-Redskins game. The Chargers right now look like the best team in that AFC West. Do you expect them to end up winning that division? I do. I, you know, I think that when you look at the way Phillip Rivers is playing right now and the, the, the options that he has to throw to, he's got a lot of good choices. And then if you look at the way Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram and what they're doing defensively right now, I mean, they're a good football team, and they're playing good football. And I expect that to continue. I I don't know that Kansas City can get themselves out of the tailspin. You can bench, uh, you know, Marcus Peters right now because, you know, he just is not playing the way you have to play as a team player. You know, he's not playing like that. You could do those kind of things. I don't think that they can get themselves out of this right now. Uh, the Chargers are a better football team, and they're proving it week in, week out right now. Brian, thanks for the time, as always. We'll be following you on Twitter, <laughs> at Boldy NFL, and have a safe trip out there. Okay, you got it, man. See you, Thanks, Brian. buddy. There's Brian Baldinger, who uh, was very distracted <laughs> by the Hey, people. how you doing, dog? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, all his fans, yes. you know he's well-recognized yes. there, man. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the Case Keenum. Yeah. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Is going to be okay. <laughs> That's multitasking. Yeah, it is. There you go. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up next, Mikey B's Brooklyn Nets actually relevant for a couple of minutes yesterday. Mm-hmm. Amazing stuff. Coming right back. Follow us on Twitter at Geo and Jones. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. The Brooklyn Nets are on our radar. We'll bring them up because we have a producer who is a Brooklyn Nets sycophant. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. They're never really on the national scene at all. But yesterday they were for a minute or two. As the Philadelphia 76ers finally found a dumping ground for an awful draft pick that they made in Jaleel Okafor. And that happened to be the Brooklyn Nets. Now, yes, there's other people involved in this deal. And Trevor Booker goes to the 76ers. And Nick Stauskas comes back to Brooklyn in a second-round pick. But Michigan, right? Really, yes. Really, this is all about Jaleel Okafor yeah. for a lot of people. I think Booker will do well with the 76ers. I think that's a nice move for them. But really what's interesting is the Nets now have two guys that were in the, what, top three Top three of that draft a couple years ago in D'Angelo Russell Mm. and Jaleel Okafor. Two of those guys who did not work out in their previous stops that have a massive amount of talent. Now, I don't know if Jaleel Okafor can work in today's NBA. I don't know if he can. I don't know if he's good enough defensively. What's his problem? Okay, you're telling me. It's defense. Well, (laughs) he's not quick enough. Okay. He's not someone who can shoot a three at his size, which is something that you see from just about everybody. Six eleven. Yeah, he's his base is very heavy, in a sense, which is not like a Porzingis or a Cousins or an Anthony Davis or any like these guys. He's very old school big man in the NBA. He's a throwback. Yeah, and is there a fit for a guy like that? Okay, but being a throwback, does he have the repertoire? Does he have the moves? Does he have a baseline spin move? Does he have, 
you know, up and under? Can he can he use I mean, I, his size and his girth to move guys around on the I, block? I think his post game is is okay. I think that's the best thing he's got going for him. But outside of that, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting because today's game, you know, it's it's up and down and up and down and up and down. A lot of fast guys, and and to slow a game down like that, especially with the way the Nets play too, with their speed and trying to score as quickly and as fast as possible and transition game. You know, how will he fit? Uh, it's it's one it's you take a shot on him and and maybe it ends up working out, but it's a, it's an odd it's certainly an odd one. Why me. did it seems like the Nets made out in this deal because they said Booker, and that's about it, right? To that the, is to it. the Sixers yeah. and you get this guy who was a top three pick. Who was a it, it, slug. And, and Stauskas was, what, a top ten pick? Eighth. He was eighth he, overall. He was eighth overall. And you send a 2019 second round pick to the Nets? The Knicks pick, technically. Yeah, all that? Yeah, well, both. I mean, that's how that's how you much you really wanted to get rid of Jaleel Okafor. You I, said I think all so. that. Yeah, and Booker's wow. a good player, too. Booker's a really... Mike okay, so he's Booker. worthy of all that. Okay, yeah. you think he's worthy well, of all? Well, but the, all that—what do they really get? I mean, second round pick in the NBA, depending on the year, could be nothing. I mean, really, it's not a ton of True. second rounders, and you got two busts. I mean, two mass, but they're mm-hmm. young and they're talented. It's sort of the same thing they did with D'Angelo Russell. Okay, young and talented, didn't work out. Are they total busts, or is there something there? Okay, and Booker—they—they they weren't going to end up signing him long term. No. So what they did was instead of you know trading away a guy and, and getting absolutely nothing for him and just a pick, like why don't we take a flyer on these guys? You know, take these problems off these guys' hands and and that's the that's their philosophy. Sean Marks, the general manager there, and you know it could end up working out for them or it could. It's just it's not going to hurt them, which I think is a good thing. And when you have no draft picks, you need to take chances like this. They. They can't tank. They have to try to acquire assets. And if he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. If he does, great. But what is it? What's the difference when you have no draft pick? Yeah, they traded them all away every year. Oh, yeah, Boston still has them, yeah, right? right so. Cleveland has it now. Oh, yeah. but it was the Boston. <laughs> Everybody Nets. gets a piece of yeah, it. Yeah, it's just going to go around the NBA. They're in the the giving business. Way to yeah. go, Nets. Right. So you like to trade, though? Yeah, of course they do. Absolutely. Oh, all right. Cool. But Booker was one of your guys. Oh, I love Trev. He was great. I love Trev. Trev. I mean, he was a good, he's a good pro. He'll fit well in Philly. He'll come off the bench and run around and get rebounds. They'll like him there. Oh, man. I'm going to miss Trev. Oh, are you going to miss oh, Trev? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm well, a little wispy just thinking about it. Bring you think back go, Trev. Bring, yeah. Well, they'll have like a video montage when he comes back to the oh, Barclays Center. thank you. He definitely has earned that. Uh, do you think that Okafor is going to end up turning his career around in Brooklyn? No. Yeah. Neither do I. Really? You think he's done? He's just a, just overrated? I'm, I'm it, curious to see what happens. I really he, am. It's not, worth a chance. Does he not play hard? It's not that. He's, I mean, he I, slimmed maybe. down a little bit, which is good. I mean, he also, didn't he had some issues like going out and stuff when he was there? Yeah, First was 19 years old. Yeah, but he led the so, team in scoring his rookie year. You see Frank Nilakina going out at 19 years old? No. Because he can't speak the language. <laughs> That's even better. I know. <laughs> <laughs> When you really get him, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Say that again. <laughs> a little end you play for the Knicks. <laughs> okay. Coming up next, we'll go through week 14 in the NFL. Yuck. <laughs> Why? Why? Why yuck? Gio and Jones, CBS Sports Radio.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.